1: the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Well,
3: it's the least wonderful time
1: of the year for me because all the Christmas
3: decorations have been put away.
2: I did hold off until New Year Day.
3: Then you packed them up, but uh, theres <laughs> they're actually still in our living room in totes.
2: Um, yeah, which it's weird because we didn't really we didn't buy anything new this year for decorations, Christmas. yeah, yeah, that's true, but we needed two more totes. was I just that bad at packing this year? Did I poorly tetris? The decorations? What happened?
3: It's like the story of the loaves and fishes, and our Christmas decorations just magically multiplied.
2: <laughs> yep, that's probably what happened.
3: <laughs> well, it's appropriate. It's Christmas decorations. Sure. So, yeah, yeah, or I'm
2: bad at packing. Or you're
3: bad at packing, sure. <laughs> I don't think there's any question.
2: <gasps> Actually,
3: you're no, know, you're very good at packing, especially when we go on a trip. Now, we're about to go on another trip, mm-hmm. and we have to really keep an eye on our, our luggage, uh, weight, weight. On this one, because it's another international trip and we want to travel lightly, I'm putting that all on you. <laughs> Fair enough. Here's Fair everything enough. I want to take. Somehow make it weigh less.
2: But I'm putting, starting the show, let's see the segue that I'm mm-hmm. doing. I'm putting that on you.
3: Okay. All right. Well done. It was 1881.
2: Oh, good year. And it's a palindrome.
3: In the Dare El Bari Valley of Egypt.
2: That is not a palindrome
3: when a group of archaeologists stumbled upon the tombs of some of the greatest Egyptian pharaohs in history. Of course, this would ultimately be called the Valley of the Kings. Buried there, Rameses the Great, Seti I, Tetmosis III, of course, eventually they would discover the uh, tomb of Tutankhamun, or Tutankhamun. Tutankhamun. But it wasn't until five years later that the most mysterious discovery was uncovered. It was 1886, and it was the mummy of a young man. His feet and his hands were bound with cord, and his head was thrown back and his face was contorted in what appeared to be an agonizing scream of pain.
2: A screaming mummy, if you will? A, a
3: screaming mummy. They would identify the man. Well, they really they didn't identify him. They, they had no idea who he was. So they assigned him the file name Unknown Man E., But around the world, he's better known as the Screaming Mummy of Egypt. Who was this and what happened to this guy? Why does it appear as though he's screaming in pain, like that was the last thing he experienced? Mm. There's been much confusion over the past century, 130 some odd years, as to the identity of the Screaming Mummy. And a lot of contradictory information surrounding it, clues that just don't add up. The screaming mummy was found in the royal tomb of Ramesses the Great. There were other mummies in there, too, that, of course, was the royal tomb. But the difference was that this body was not carefully prepared like the others were, who were clearly marked as members of the royal family. Instead of being properly mummified, it appears as though he was just kind of thrown into a pile of nitrate. And after he dried out... Instead of removing his organs and painstakingly wrapping him in strips of cloth, he was simply wrapped in a sheepskin and tossed on the floor of the tomb.
2: So all of the normal processes that would go into like mummifying royalty, they just skipped.
3: Not only that, they almost treated it with contempt. Very... Contrasting things, the fact that the mummy was in a royal tomb suggests that somebody was concerned that this person be able to travel to the afterworld.
2: Right. Well, at least he got a sheepskin.
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, the thing is, Egyptians were purity obsessed, and wrapping a body in a sheepskin in their mind would have damned the offender to eternity. What? The fact that he was not properly prepared and that he was wrapped in a sheepskin suggests that there were those who were trying to keep him from getting to the afterlife.
2: I, I have questions. Yeah. Why would a sheepskin keep you from...
3: It has to do with purity. It was a sign of disrespect.
2: Oh, because it wasn't what they would normally use to prepare the body?
3: Yeah, it's kind of like showing your feet in Thailand.
2: Thankfully, we learned that on a YouTube video. We don't want to offend.
3: For decades after the mummy's discovery, it was just kind of stored away behind closed doors. But eventually, it was put on display at the Antiquities Museum in Cairo. uh, And quickly, it became the most popular exhibit in the museum.
2: Because it sounds terrifying? Yes. People
3: have been drawn to the screaming mummy out of morbid curiosity. And uh, what the grim nature of his demise could have possibly been based on on the look, the expression on this man's face... Now, many experts suggest that in actuality, it was not a scream of pain frozen on his face from his demise, that it was simply he died, his head fell back from passing away, and his jaw fell open, and then rigor mortis set in. And that's what left the mummy looking like he was screaming for all eternity. And that's been the case with other screaming mummies. Oh, yes, there have been plenty around the world. They've been uncovered in places like Peru and as far away as Sicily. You might remember I did an episode a while ago about uh, the museum, the Screaming Mummy Museum in Mexico. Right. They have 111 screaming mummies that were discovered in an old graveyard. And uh, it's conclusive that in this case, anyway, when they passed away, the joints in their jaws slackened. So the jaws fell open and then rigor mortis would set in. And it looks like they were screaming when they died. But in all likelihood, they weren't.
2: That's nice
3: but this mummy is different not only is his face locked in an eternal scream but his neck is bent back in a way that's consistent with somebody writhing in agony Ugh. but for over a hundred fifty years we have had no idea what happened to this man let alone who he was
2: and why he was treated with such disrespect after death
3: yeah the whole idea that you know he was given some respect he was in the royal tomb right. But, you know, what's going on there? One theory that was floated was that, uh, and this is true, there was a Hittite prince who traveled to Egypt to marry the widow of King Tut. Uh, History, historical records say that uh, there was, in fact, a prince who did expire under mysterious conditions, and nobody knows where he ended up. So that kind of makes sense. It kind of fits in a way. Mm -hmm. But scholars... Debunked that theory, um, and that's based on the fact that any visiting prince would not have been mummified. They would have just buried him.
4: Really?
2: Yeah. That seems rude.
3: Yeah, because it was an Egyptian practice. Another theory was that it was an Egyptian person of importance Mm -hmm. who perished abroad, and because of that, he was not properly mummified.
2: Oh, that would make sense.
3: But in this case, if that had been actually what happened, and he was royalty... When they did bring him back to Egypt, they certainly wouldn't have wrapped him in a sheepskin.
2: Right. That doesn't make sense.
3: thrown him on the floor. But now, enter (laughs) DNA.
2: Wait, is this why you walked through the the living room the other day going, I love DNA? It is. Yeah.
3: (laughs) It's exactly why I did that.
2: That was like...
3: Okay. After 132 years of not knowing who the screaming mummy was (laughs) and what, in fact, was behind his demise, we are now fairly certain of the answers to those questions. Okay. Based on the DNA analysis, they have determined that this probably was Prince Pentawer, who was the son of of King Rameses III, who ruled between 1186 BC and 1155 BC. The analysis from the DNA supports this theory, that the mummy was, in fact, the son of Ramesses. They both share the fraternal Y-DNA haplogroup E1B1A okay. and half of their DNA. So that's pretty conclusive, but the actual name of the prince is unknown. Pentawer was just a pseudonym, that was assigned to him in the Judicial Papyrus of Turin. The ancient papyrus record uh, refers to a prince that was to be hanged to death for (gasps) conspiring against his father. The screaming mummy does have marks on his neck that seem to confirm this theory. Certainly doesn't rule it out.
2: So he was still royalty. Yes. But But. his actions meant Mm -hmm. sheepskin for you.
3: The prince would have been the beneficiary of what's called the harem conspiracy. The thought is that the conspiracy was cooked up by the prince's mother, and the plan was to assassinate the pharaoh using his uh, harem to do that. His mother wanted her son, um, this particular son, to succeed as pharaoh, even though the chosen heir was another son of hers.
2: That's a real problematic boy, Mom. Who.
3: According to the judicial papyrus, Pentawer was among those who stood trial for their participation in the conspiracy, and he was sentenced to death. Ooh. A researcher named Susan Redford speculates that because Pentawer was a noble, he would have been given the option to kill himself, like by taking poison. And his position does suggest that he could have been writhing in pain when he died, so there is strong evidence that he was either executed by hanging or given the choice to take his own life and took poison. Either way, he was sentenced to death. The other conspirators had an even more humiliating fate. They were all burned alive in the streets, and then their ashes were just strewn in the gutters. It was thought that this punishment served to make a strong example since it emphasized the gravity of Mm -hmm. their treason for ancient Egyptians, who believed that one could only attain afterlife if one's body was mummified and preserved rather than being destroyed by fire in this case. Not only were the criminals killed in the physical world, but they also suffered the second death of not being able to attain the afterlife. And this in the mind of ancient Egyptians would have caused them to suffer a complete personal annihilation. Uh, Pentawer, because he was a royal, was given the option to avoid the harder punishment of a second death. In other words, they he took his life in this world, but didn't completely destroy the chance of him getting into the afterlife or the second death but the fact that he was wrapped in a sheepskin indicates that there was there were some people that didn't think he even deserved that right pentower based on his remains would have been only between the ages of eighteen and twenty Oof. at the time of his death,
2: and it sounds like it was his mom's idea anyway,
3: yeah, it was his mom's idea. a lot of uh historians and uh, and Egyptologists say that she was really the instigator, and he was kind of he was drawn into this, and it wasn't his idea mm-hmm. and but he lost his life anyway.
2: He was the buster of the situation, yes, easily manipulated and ends up with a hook
3: so. 130 years after the mummy's discovery, DNA has solved a cold case that goes back 3,200 years.
2: Wow.
3: My source information is Ranker, News, and Wikipedia. Oh, and, and National Geographic.
0: Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas. Plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast.
1: It seems
3: that there's a special interest group for everyone nowadays. Case in point, the Antique Barbed Wire Society. The Antique Barbed Wire Society, according to their website, is an international organization committed to collecting, preserving, exhibiting, and interpreting the historical heritage of barbed wire and barbed wire-related items. In fact, they have a barbed wire museum, which is located in La Crosse, Kansas, and was established in 1970. The museum focuses on barbed wire, and they have over 2,000 different forms of wire and its history. Thanks, Antique Barbed Wire Society. Here's a short but sweet email from from Joe. He wrote, Hi, my name's Joe. Just have to tell you guys, you're the kitty's titties. Thanks for making my days brighter. (laughs) That's sweet. That
2: is sweet. I think. Hello, writes Amelie. I was recently listening to Box 492 and vehemently agree with Kat on the topic of discussion. The idea of men giving advice to women on how to be a good housewife slash lover, etc. is hilarious on all (laughs) sorts of levels. (laughs) I enjoyed it. The episode reminded me of a magazine that I found in a box containing my grandmother's sheet music. We both play the piano. I can't find a print date on it, but my guess would be that it's from the 40s or 50s. I'll attach photos below for your entertainment, and hopefully you can enlarge them enough to read the absolute gems that are in the advertisements. Merry Christmas. Thanks for all you do. One of the ads is for a book called How to Get Along with Boys. (laughs) One article titled It's Easy to Win Him.
3: Well, that's really true in many cases. Mm. Thanks, Emily. And Jesse sent us an email, curator at theboxofoddities.com. On today's episode, Cat asked J.G. if he'd ever been woken up by a smell, and I thought I'd share my stinky story. Yeah. I guess not technically a boo effect, but I'm hoping it will be anyway. So I'm a night person, but my hubby is in bed at 9 p.m. every night. One night, I got a hankering for a little snack. So, of course, I decided a little fried cabbage would hit the spot now. I'm only about halfway done cooking when my hubby comes storming and stomping into the kitchen, convinced I'm vindictively cooking cabbage just to wake him up. (laughs) He was so mad. Meanwhile, I'm not really that clever or good at being petty, but it didn't help his mood that I just laughed at him for genuinely accusing me of cooking cabbage just to interfere with a good night's sleep. Mm-hmm. You're aggressively cabbaging your husband, Jesse. Thanks for the podcast, y'all. Relationship is best friend goals. Maybe my hubby and I can get there if I stop with the midnight cabbage cravings.
2: Oh my gosh, I love cabbage. I'm not a nighttime eater, typically, but I think I might for cabbage.
3: I am a nighttime eater, but it's usually just cereal or a can of Pringles. Occasionally, I'll just wake up at 4, go into the kitchen, get a can of wavy barbecue Pringles. And And eat
2: them standing over the sink.
3: Right right over the sink (laughs) so that the crumbs fall in the garbage disposal area,
4: hiding any evidence.
2: You never hide the evidence.
4: Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Find out what's real and what's not when it comes to famous conspiracy theories, like those surrounding notorious assassinations and secret societies. Discover the weak and deceptive underpinnings of modern political ideologies and religious beliefs. Join me as I attempt to shed some light on our historical blind spots. New episodes every two weeks. Find historical blindness on most podcast players and platforms. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.
2: The English monarch, nicknamed Richard the Lionheart. Within a year of his coronation, Richard had left for the Third Crusade. During his 10-year reign, it is believed that he spent no more than six months in England. Wow. It's said he probably couldn't even speak English.
3: You're kidding me.
2: No. In March 1199, he was fighting to protect his lands in Normandy against Philip. Rich, as we'll call him from now on, laid siege.
3: Actually, I prefer King Dick. Would that be okay?
2: (laughs) Sure, but only privately. What? No. He was at the castle Chabrol, or Chabrol, as uh, the pronunciation guide helped me learn. (laughs) Richard was circling the castle, which housed rebels, I can only assume that they were fighting against the Galactic Empire, and Richard was inspecting the defenses. They were pretty relaxed, they were just checking stuff out, but suddenly, the king was hit in the shoulder by a crossbow bolt, fired from the walls. And the injury didn't seem that bad at first, he received some treatment and the siege continued. But soon it became clear that the wound was much more serious than they thought at first. It started showing signs of gangrene, and he died on April 6, 1199. He was 41 years old. That's how old I am.
3: And you've never been king.
2: That's right. I feel, uh, sad.
3: You've also never been shot in the shoulder with a crossbow bolt.
2: That's true. I'm happy about that part. Mm. I also barely know English. After his death, his body was divided up. It was a common practice for aristocracy during the Middle Ages. The practice arose in part during the Crusades. So high-ranking warriors would be out and about, and they might be killed in quote-unquote heathen places that weren't seen as Proper burial places. Okay. So they wanted to be able to bury them in places that were appropriate for aristocracy, but transporting a whole body back to Europe wasn't always practical due to the stink level.
3: So, how does cutting them up prevent? Stink level.
2: Well, corpses were often stripped of their flesh and brought back to Europe just as skeletons. I see. uh, With their inner organs, including the heart, removed and buried where the Crusaders had died. So Richard's body was disemboweled. In 1883, a lead box was found during cathedral renovations bearing Latin words that I will not try to pronounce. (laughs) They translate to, Here is the heart of Richard, King of England. His desiccated heart was inside. It was now only a brown, whitish powder. And it wasn't until 2013 that scientists analyzed his heart, which, as I said, at this point was just powder. They found that it had been wrapped in linen, much better than sheepskin. Forensic analysis found that the organ had been wrapped in fine linens and perfumed with herbs, flowers, and lime. There was also traces of rare frankincense, which was found on the ancient heart, which is an allusion to the Christ-like nature that they thought of the king as having. Carbon dating was not performed for the following reason. The presence of balm oil and organic embalming residues may have been at the origin of a huge contamination for the sample. And they were pretty sure who this heart belonged to, therefore, when it would have been put in this box. From the paper, The Embalmed Heart of Richard the Lionheart, A Biological and Anthropological Analysis. The use of such conservation products, above mentioned, reveals the influence of cooking and pharmacy for the embalming of viscera and particularly the heart. Indeed, the first embalmers were cooks, i.e., those who were used to open the meat and cut the offal.
3: Oh, man, are you kidding me? Yeah. Wow. Why didn't they just, if that's the case, just smoke the meat put it in a smokehouse jerk it like yeah why didn't they jerk king dick
2: these cooks also had access to herbs spices and other odiferous substances Then it was the turn of the apothecaries and afterwards chemists using plants and sometimes exotic and disinfectant solutions proved to be efficient for the medium and long-term conservation of human cadavers, though apparently not that long-term since this heart was now powder. It was noted in this paper, though, that it wasn't the fault of those who had preserved his heart necessarily, and that the heart might have been negatively affected by flooding or other environmental changes that weren't to be anticipated by these cooks who had, <laughs> you know, yeah. boxed up his heart. Part of the analysis involved the long-held theory that Richard I may have been killed by an arrow coated in poison. Dr. Felipe Charlier, a forensic scientist from Raymond Poincaré University Hospital in France, said his tests revealed that probably was not the case. Our toxicological analysis showed no presence of any arsenic or any other metals, so we haven't found any proof of contamination during the end of Richard the Lionheart's life.
3: It could have been they misinterpreted the gangrene as being an effect caused by poison.
2: Potentially. Or because the wound seemed so minor mm. and they didn't understand you know, infection and all that sure, business yeah. that it had to have been something else not just the wound. Witchcraft. This isn't my nose, it's a false one.
3: God, there've been a lot of python references lately. Anyway, continue, please.
2: We have no confirmation, he said, that this would have been that he would have been poisoned. There is no argument for this. Though they did note that there was a ton of lead in his heart, and that could have just been because uh, during the medieval ages they didn't know, you know, don't do that.
3: Or he could have just been a really uncaring person.
2: The king was buried at Frantavod Abbey in Anjou, where his father and later his mother were buried, while his heart was kept at Rouen Cathedral to commemorate his love of Normandy. And then after the analysis in 2013, Richard's heart was then reinterred in the cathedral in Rouen.
3: That's an amazing story. And when you first started talking about it, I was confusing him with Richard III Oh. Who died in battle. He also suffered from uh, scoliosis. And uh, they recently, I guess maybe 10 years recently, 10 years ago, they discovered his remains underneath a parking lot in the U.K.,
2: I remember that. That was amazing. That was
3: amazing. Can you imagine? That documentary
2: was incredible. Yeah,
3: i am got to watch that again.
2: I would be down for that. All right,
3: let's do (gasps) that. Do you want to get
2: pizza and watch the Richard excavation? Uh,
3: Yes. Okay. Not stupid.
2: I really like that place that we've been getting pizza from that has the plant-based pepperoni. Let's do that. Okay. I love our plan. Big thanks to Hollis, who shared an article on The Freak's Facebook page titled, Five Famous Body Parts from History You Can Visit. That's where I got this from. Also got my information from Mental Floss, History Extra, BBC, History Hit, Nature.com, and Atlas Obscura.
3: And can we just take a moment and talk about the Freaks Group uh, on Facebook.
2: Constant
3: source of joy for me. There was a you, you told me about a comment that you saw today. And this yeah. this to me sums up the love. Of the freak family.
2: Something that happens on the freaks group often is if someone's having a bad day for whatever reason, they'll ask for a boost, B-O-O-S-T, you yeah, know, boost. Yeah, right. And someone had come on the freaks group and said, listen, this is a situation that's going on in my life right now. I need a boost. I'm having a hard time. They la la, And people immediately in the comments, like, oh my gosh, this is my suggestion, or oh, I'm sorry, you're going through this, blah, Mm, blah, blah. And someone came in and said, I'm sorry, what does this have to do with Box of Oddities? Where another freak came in and responded to them, I'm going to assume that you're new here. Oftentimes, freaks will come to this page and ask for a boost, and we'll give it to them, because we're a freak community, and that's what we do for each other. Freaks support other freaks. And the commenter wrote, "Oh, okay, thanks for the information." See, I
3: love that. It
2: was wonderful. Yeah,
3: there's so very li- uh, little bullshit that happens. Yes,
2: there's just such a level of respect and kindness, and it's because you guys are so amazing. Mm. It's nothing that we've done. Oh
3: God, no, we don't do anything on that site. I mean that 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 group. Other than you know, we have some mods that keep an eye on things, but we haven't had to kick many people out. I, A handful, maybe. And there's, what, 12,000, 13,000 members now?
2: Something like that.
3: Yeah, it's crazy. It really is. You guys are amazing. We're proud to be part of this Freak family. If you have not uh, checked out the Freaks group, it's uh, Freaks, a box of oddities podcast group. And uh, search it on Facebook. Thanks for hanging out with us, you guys. We do love you. We really do. We'll see you next time.
2: Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
3: Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak.
1: And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. Theboxofoddities.com. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. You
2: can use your entrails as kindling.
1: Not very good kindling. It would
3: be soggy. I'd
2: dry it out first.
3: In nitrate?
2: Yep. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So, listen and subscribe to This Day in History, wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History, wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I
1: delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your
2: podcasts.